Well, it is good to be home uh, for at least a short while. Uh, we were just figuring uh, on the way over here uh, how many miles we've traveled since January, and I'm uh, surprised at uh, the distances that have been covered this year. Uh, we have, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, we have both personal and ministry miles. We have covered almost 30,000 miles, or will by the end of this year. We still have a couple more uh, trips, uh, of course, uh, more personal in nature for Christmas and then back home. And then we have one more meeting right at the very end of December to wrap up the year. Uh, it's not a deputation meeting per se. It's more of a pulpit supply. Uh, but that being said... Um, when we finish that, we will be very, very close to 30,000 miles this year. And uh, through it all, the Lord has uh, kept us safe, and we are so thankful uh, for that. Uh, we have, I don't know how many states we have been in uh, for meetings, and we've been in at least twice as many just driving through. But I know we've made uh, trips already uh, as far south as Florida and out to Arizona, so that's helped rack up those miles. and. It's good to be home and just to sit back and relax a little bit and uh, uh, recover from a head cold. If anyone wants a head cold, they can have it. I'm more than willing to share. Uh, so just see me after the service, and I will be sure to pass it on to you. I apologize if you feel offended that I haven't shaken your hand. I was trying to be nice, but if you really want it, you can have it. Uh, I'm ready to get rid of it, and Lord willing, the next couple of days, it will be gone. Uh, but that being said, uh, it is a blessing, uh, and uh, just so thankful for the opportunity that Pastor uh, gave uh, me to just give a quick update. Uh, we are at 45% of our support now, and as you may have heard, just a few, uh, just well, about a, almost two months ago, uh, we were uh, faced with a budget adjustment that uh, dropped our support several percentages about the same time we went up and went down. It was just, it was a mess. So we finally made it back to 45. We started there, but just prior to that, we finally got back there. Uh, so we're excited about that. As Pastor mentioned, there is a church voting tonight, possibly a second one. Um, the pastor, this was, we were just at this church last week, and he was anticipating uh, a business meeting next Sunday. Uh, but uh, mentioned to me later, he said, I don't know, maybe we can see if we can move it up a week and do it next week. So maybe they're voting tonight. I just don't know. Uh, the one we do know for sure is out in Arizona, so that will occur uh, even after we conclude the service here tonight. And so I would encourage you to pray about uh, those things as well. And uh, we're just excited. We have, as I mentioned in our praises and prayer requests, uh, for uh, this past Wednesday, uh, I trust you saw those. We are anticipating by January uh, four to five new churches. And Pastor, I spoke wrong this morning. That would include the churches voting tonight because uh, we had just heard the day before I emailed those out or two days before. And so that would include that. So four to five churches, Lord willing, joining with us by the end of January, which will bring us, if, if all my calculations are correct, that will bring us to 54%. So to jump from 45 to 54 in about a month and a half is an exciting prospect, especially uh, since this year was a little bit slower in uh, raising our support. And so it, it just, it's, been a, it's been a good year. It's been a slow year. It's been a difficult year, but God has worked through it. As you know, 
this past spring, I broke my ankle. Uh, I'm thankful I can walk. And so that's a blessing. Uh, I'm not having, I did have a couple of churches that I had to sit, uh, some that I used a knee scooter for. And of course, you saw that while I was here just uh, getting ready for therapy. But we had to figure out how to get that knee scooter onto the platform. Glad we didn't have to do that tonight. Uh, so glad to have that behind us, uh, able to uh, stand on my own two feet and walk, and that's been a blessing. But it's been, it's been a challenging year for us, but we're thankful for the Lord's uh, protection. We're thankful for His provision, uh, thankful for how He has uh, just so abundantly blessed this year. And uh, uh, so thankful for uh, the opportunity this evening uh, to dive in here to the Word of God this evening. And I will try to move things along fairly quickly. Tonight and then, really, when we uh, when we conclude, uh, I just have a couple of prayer requests that I'll share with you at that at that time, just to, so you can jot those down. You can be prepared for that. So, the year was seventeen ninety two. William Carey, later dubbed the father of the modern missionary movement, had challenged his Baptist brethren to obey their responsibility to take the gospel to unreached lands. Baptists of Mid-England formed the particular Baptist Society for Propagating the Gospel Among the Heathen. How's that for a Baptist uh, uh, mission board name? Uh, The acronym is at least eight letters long. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, they formed this society and appointed Carey and John Thomas to go uh, to India as missionaries. In 1793, Carey said a tearful farewell to his church in Leicester, England, the society then came together for a farewell service for Kerry. Sometime during that all-day meeting, Kerry met with the four leaders of the society. Those men promised Kerry that, quote, as he went forth in the society's name and their masters, they should never cease till death to stand by him, end quote. Andrew Fuller, one of those men, later described the occasion with an analogy. He said that the mission to India seemed like a few men who considered going into a deep, unexplored mine. It was as if Kerry said, I will go down if you will hold the rope. The meeting in Fuller's mind was as if he and the other brethren gave their word that, quote, whilst we lived, we should never let go the rope, end quote. The analogy stuck. Missionaries today continue to go down into the mines seeking to win those who have never heard and to shine the light of the gospel into the darkest corners of humanity. These frontline soldiers of the cross continue to rely on those who hold the rope. The rope analogy stuck because it pictures a biblical truth. God designed New Testament missions to be a team effort. Maybe God has not called you to be a foreign missionary. The question then is, how do we hold the rope for the missionaries? It's a good question. And there are several answers to this question, but the one I want to look at this evening is the subject of prayer. I think the most important uh, way in which we can, um, we can hold that rope for missionaries. I was encouraged back in August when Pastor... Uh, and I had a phone conversation. I was in Illinois, and uh, we were able to speak for uh, several minutes and just really 
uh, get a sense of what um, Pastor could hear from me, what was going on. I could hear from him uh, his burden and, and the things that the Lord was laying on his heart for us. And it was an exciting time. It, to me, it was, it was a needed conversation uh, just from the perspective that, uh, you know, Chris and I are on the road and just it, it was slow going. But to hear him uh, just say that the Lord had burdened his heart to, to do what could be done here to help us and, and to push us forward, it was just an encouraging time. And as he said, he was wanting to challenge the church to pray, and I thought, that's great, and we've had that before. But for the last several months, I've thought often on that conversation on the matter of prayer. And as we were coming into the service, just seeking the Lord's will with just direction, there were some things that I wanted to say to you as well on this topic. And the Lord just seemed to just put everything together. Uh, for this evening. So I'd like to just share just a, a few thoughts here on the subject of prayer and specifically praying for missionaries. Would you take your Bible and turn to two different passages? First, Romans chapter 15. Put your finger there and then turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Romans 15, put your finger there, and then 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Excuse me. First. Thessalonians 5 is where we'll begin. It's just a short verse. And so we'll just read it quickly and then move on into Romans 15. Paul is writing here to the believers there in Thessalonica. And he writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 25, just four words. He says, brethren, pray for us. Brethren, pray for us. For us. Romans chapter 15, verse number 30 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. Missionaries, we support here at Fostoria Baptist Church, I believe over 80 missionary families. Uh, I could be wrong on that. I, that's the last number that I heard. And you are, um, we are, as a church body, going to be uh, considering uh, several more uh, just in a uh, next week, I believe, next uh, week from Wednesday. And uh, as we do so, I want you to understand something. Missionaries, every single one of those missionaries that you support, that we support, I keep saying you because I'm used to talking to some other church. We, I'm a part of this ministry. We support. Every one of these missionaries that we support are counting on local churches, including this one, to hold the ropes and, act, and be active in effective, agonizing prayer for them. They're counting on us. And I'm counting on you. My wife and I, are, we are counting on you as well. Because we're part of your missions family, but we're also part of this church. And so in this passage here in Romans, as, as Paul is writing here, he, he gives a, a statement here that is, that is just profound in many ways. And I want to focus in on it, and really, as we talk about this matter of praying for missions, or missions praying, or praying for missionaries, 
I've identified three different characteristics, and I'd like to, uh, not just from this passage, but from others, but we'll start here with the first. The first characteristic is simply this. Missions praying requires effort. This is not the, this is not the one we like to hear, but the word here that Paul uses it comes out as three words in our English Bible. It says there in verse 30, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me. Strive together with. It is one Greek word. It is the word sun angizomai. And this word is a compound word of two Greek words. The first, sun, is the, is the word that means with or together. And then the second one, and agonizomai, is a word from which we get our English word, agony. Agony. And so Paul is challenging uh, his church there in, in Rome. He's never been there before, but he's challenging them to, in prayer, agonize with him. And I know when we think of agony, we also think of pain and suffering. But I want you to understand, the Greek word really doesn't carry uh, the same uh, ideas that we associate it with in English. I want to read four different uh, definitions that I pulled from the, from the lexicon. And I want you to think of these in reference to prayer. And I think it will help you understand a little bit more of what Paul is asking of the Roman believers here. Uh, the first one is to enter a contest... That is to contend in the gymnastic games. And so the idea there of praying as, uh, as maybe an Olympic athlete, uh, you don't, uh, an Olympic athlete doesn't give 30% of their ability. They give it all they've got. They, they put everything in, every ounce into that. Uh, so in that sense, we are to pray. Secondly, to contend with adversaries or to fight. Thirdly, in a metaphorical sense, that is to contend or struggle with difficulties and dangers. And then lastly, to endeavor with strenuous zeal to strive, that is to obtain something. And this is the way that Paul asks the Roman church there to pray for him and his ministry. To pray, and, and we, would, we would echo that in very much when as missionaries we stand before churches and we are seeking not only financial support, but prayer support, that churches would, would strive together with us, that there would be some effort put in. Sadly, in many churches, the prayers uh, tend to be very casual, very effortless. Uh, in many respects, you say, well, what is, a, what is an effortless prayer uh, look like or seem like? And, and obviously, there, there are different uh, ideas and nuances that possibly could occur but obviously one that takes no work. Lord bless all the missionaries. Amen. Lord be with the child's. Bless them as they're out in deputation. Help them get their support. Bless this missionary. Bless that missionary. I mean, we're being specific. We're praying for each individual. Meet their needs. All right. Now, what else do I have to go through for my day? What else can I... What's, what's my next task? There's no effort. It's quick. It's casual. It's it just... We're moving past it. We're doing it out of rote. We're doing it out of habit. There, there doesn't seem to be any effort put in. Unfortunately, I found myself praying this way many times. Whether it be for people that were on our prayer list or, or, or people that are on our hearts that we meet or whatever missionaries, we find that many times our prayers are very casual, very, very much without effort. 
kind of go through our, our routine there. May I say that effortless or casual praying has no place when praying for missionaries. Paul challenges them to, to strive together. Now, the reason I believe this is because, number one, it is ineffective. And secondly, it is non-resistant. You say, what do you mean by that? Simply put, in the fact that it's ineffective, we have to remember the enemy does not fight casually. We are told in Ephesians chapter 6 to put on the armor of God. And as, it, as we walk through that passage and you start to, to see all the different pieces that, and we get down toward the end, we are left with a verse there in Ephesians chapter 6, and I believe it's verse number 18, uh, that says, uh, the, the, challenges us in our prayer life. Some have said that that, that that verse, as it ties back into the context of the armor of God, is what makes the armor effective. I like better, someone said years ago, that really prayer is the battleground. That is, we are in a spiritual battle. We are going to war. We are in a warfare. And we put on our armor, but we go to battle on our knees. That's where we do battle against the forces of darkness as we cry out to the Lord as we, as we seek God's uh, face and, and for His blessing and His power and, and the Lord to overrule in, in the affairs of this world. We do battle in prayer. And may I say this, have you found it to be true that when we pray, it seems like it is, that is the time when our, our flesh most resents. In other words, we, our flesh despises, it hates to be to, to, to be uh, put into the place of prayer, to, to kneel before, humbly before our God. Our flesh fights. Now, I understand that we can have victory over the flesh. I understand we can, we can come to the point where we enjoy spending time with our God. But if our flesh has its way, it runs from the place of prayer. And understand, if we are going to, if we are going to get involved in the battle, and we are in the battle... We are going to have to be involved in this matter of prayer. But remember, the enemy is fighting. And he does not fight casually. He puts in all of his effort. He seeks to win. And so if he is putting in everything he has to win in that spiritual fight, so we ought to put in everything in the fight. And so if we are praying casually, it is ineffective because we are not advancing in the cause of Christ. Secondly, it is non-resistant because not only are we unable to advance the cause of Christ, we are unable to hold the ground that has already been won. You see, as the forces of darkness come upon uh, these different circumstances of life or upon our own souls, we find that because we are praying casually, we do not have the strength to resist. And so the ground that has been won, we end up giving up. We end up retreating and giving back ground to Satan. And so our casual praying is not advancing. It is retreating. It is not even holding steady. It is in, uh, it is in retreat. It is fleeing. We have no power to resist the advance of the enemy. And we have to understand... He is on the move and he is trying to, he is seeking to, to destroy, seeking to win. We must, we must go to our knees in prayer in that same, in that same mindset. We must, in that sense, put in some effort to prayer. 
We need to strive in our prayer. We need to enter the contest, enter the fight, and do battle there on our knees. This casual praying, as we think about missions, it has no place because as the missionary is there uh, serving on a foreign field, he is counting on you and I to be praying and holding those ropes. And if we are casual, all is lost. Secondly, here, missions praying is a partnership. That is, we're striving together with our missionary families. They're sharing their heart in those prayer letters. They are, um, they're, they're giving to us burdens. They are sharing with us their joys. And they are counting on us to partner with them in this. It is a partnership. Strive together, which means we need to be reading those prayer letters, taking note of the requests that have been made, praying with them. I am sorry, could I get a glass of water, please? My throat is parched. Would somebody be willing to do that? Thank you. Might be one under here. There is one here. I just wanted to make sure I could drink from it because you never know behind pulpits. <laughs> that was last week. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Oh, I may need the second glass. That'll be all right. Um, folks, we need to be sharing in their burdens. We need to share in their joys. We need to share in the... Because they... You have to understand, they are serving there alone. They're serving there. The mission field is a lonely place. It really is. And they're counting on us to partner with them, to know what's going on. To They're praying for certain things, and they are counting on us to pray uh, for those situations as well. In order to hold the ropes for our missionaries, we must abandon casual prayers and endeavor to pray with effort. Second characteristic that we see of missions praying is that it necessitates faith. It necessitates faith. Now, I want to stop here and just say this. There are a few things here that I may not and do not fully understand. There are some verses I'm going to read. I won't have you turn there for sake of time. I'm going to read them, and I don't fully understand them, but because they are in the Word of God and they are spoken, most of them, by our Lord... I believe them to be true. I just don't fully understand. There's still some study that needs to go into this. And, um, but there's something here that needs to be said. Do you believe that God answers prayer? I'm not sure you do. <laughs> that was a little weak. I do. I believe God answers prayer, but I believe He answers believing prayer. The book of Mark chapter 11, I want to read a couple of verses for you. Verse 22, it says, And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. He shall have whatsoever he saith. 
Thank you so much. Verse 24 says, Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. The condition here in both of these verses, verse 23 and 24, is the fact that this person in prayer is believing that he is receiving. Believing that God is answering. Not will answer, but is currently. I don't have time to develop some thoughts uh, even out of the book of Daniel, uh, but I want you to see... Uh, from this, that God answers when we pray in faith, depending on Him, believing that He's going to answer. And, and I just I love some of the things that are mentioned here. Verse 24, what things soever. That leaves it wide open. It really does. What things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Now, does this mean that I can ask for anything that I want? Well, no. I mean, I could pray for a million dollars, but I don't think I'll get it. James has some things to say about that, does, it? does he not? We ask and receive not because we ask amiss that we may consume it upon our own lives. And obviously, we understand there are other passages of Scripture that, need to, that we need to bring to bear in this and understand these things. But I, I, I really believe that if we understand this passage, it needs to be interpreted in light of 1 John 5. Verse 14, which says, And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. In this passage here, we are told that if we know the will of God, And if we ask for that will, we can be assured, we can stand with confidence that He has heard us. And if we know that He's heard us, then we can assume that He is going to answer. Let me give it to you. Let me go back to this million dollars thing. Just, and I know this is a stretch, but if it is the will of God for me to have a million dollars, and it probably is not. If it were... If I were to ask for that, since God wants to give it to me anyway, and I'm asking for it, I can be assured that God has heard my prayer. And I can be assured that He's going to answer because He wants it for me anyway. That is His will for my life. Whatever that situation is, if I can be assured that 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 request is indeed the will of God, I can be assured as we follow the passage through, in the end, I'm going to get it. I will receive it. I believe that's really what Mark is saying, that one thing soever you desire, provided they're within the will of God, realize this, believe that you receive them and ye shall have them. But it must be within the will of God. It can't be just whatever I want, just to have it for myself, to consume it upon my lusts. I can't ask amiss, but understand that there is great power in prayer. God answers believing prayer. God answers as it is according to His will. Now I need, I need, I do want to make a quick clarification. There are times in which we, we look at a certain situation and we say, well, you, I think I know the will of God in this matter. I've I, I spent time in prayer. I've read, been reading my Bible and it seems as if this is the will of God, but I'm just not sure. How can I know the will of God for any given situation? 
Well, I believe that God has provided for us in the person of the Holy Spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit leads us and teaches us the will and mind of the Lord. Now, He doesn't always reveal everything. And certainly doesn't lay out a 20-year plan of here's what the will of God looks like for your life. It's a step-by-step. It's a day-by-day occurrence. But as we go to the Word of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. You can, you can continue that thought all the way down through uh, verse 13, and it continues to build on that same thought, that the Spirit of God that has been given to us is there to help teach us and lead us to know the will and mind of God. He, he is there uh, guiding us through life to direct us to the will that God has for us. But again, there are times in which He does not reveal, and as we are going to prayer, there are times in which we do not know really how to pray. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26 and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Have you ever been in prayer and you really don't know how to pray, don't know what to ask for? You know you should pray, but just there's this... The verse continues, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Folks, there are times in which we come to a time of prayer, we really don't know the will of God. We don't know how uh, this is borne out. We, we simply are unaware how to pray, what to ask for. What, it, there, there's a lot of question marks and confusion. And it, even as we go to our knees in prayer, the Holy Spirit is there and we just simply cry and say, Lord, I don't even know how to ask. I, I don't even know what to pray for. I don't even know how to address this situation. I know we need to pray. I, I know I need to come before. I need to bring this before you. But God, I just don't know what your will is. The Bible says that even the Spirit will take over and intercede on our behalf. And He intercedes in such a way that He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And when we don't know the will of God, He does, and His intercession is made along those veins. And as as He prays and, and requests the Father that His will would be done, we can be assured that the Father hears the prayers of the Holy Spirit on our behalf. And that God is going to answer His prayers. Now we don't, because we're still in confusion, we don't know how that's going to happen. But we know that it's going to be best because the Spirit of God is claiming and, and, and is asking for and is seeking and interceding on our behalf. He is looking for us to have the will of God accomplished in our life. And we can be assured that we will receive that will in due time. Thirdly, God has given the church, the corporate body, authority in prayer. Jesus promised great power in corporate prayer. In Matthew chapter 18, in, the, in that uh, uh, passage on church discipline, the part where it talks about how to address a, an erring brother, if he won't hear you, bring two or three witnesses. If you won't hear them, take it to the church. In the context of that passage... Jesus makes a few statements in regards to prayer and really helping us understand the authority that the corporate body has in the matter of prayer. 
Now that doesn't mean that I'm I'm disregarding private personal prayer. I'm just saying we miss out on uh, when we, we fail to meet together as a body. Jesus said these words, Matthew 18, 18 and 19 says, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And just for a quick synopsis here, just understand that again, in that context, when the church decides this is the will of God, this is the direction we believe uh, we should go, this is what we believe is right, and, and they, the church decides to either bind or loose, God in heaven takes note and says, well, they've, this is what they've determined. We're going to bind it or loose it accordingly, even here in heaven as well. But the next verse says, Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Two of you shall agree. If two of you shall agree. Now, in some Baptist churches, that's pretty hard to find. Two people in agreement um, on any given issue. But the idea here is this. In the matter of prayer... This word agree is, is a word, is a Greek word, and I don't have it in front of me, but it's, it's the word from which our English word symphony comes from. And so you can imagine that symphony orchestra, as they, are, as they are playing, you have different instruments, all playing different notes, different parts, but as you put the whole together, there is, there is a unity, there's a harmony, there's, there's beautiful music that is being, uh, that is being played in that, in, that, uh, in that time. That's the idea here. And as the corporate body of the church comes together in agreement on an issue, whether it be in regards to church discipline, binding or loosing in that sense, or in prayer, what they ask for, what the corporate body requests of God, the Bible says, it shall be done for them. I believe that there is great power in corporate prayer. The church getting together and praying. Let me give you a quick example from the early church. Acts chapter 12. Just turn there real quick. We're only going to look at just a couple of verses, and then we're going to wrap things up here. Acts chapter 12. You know this passage well. Uh, we're just going to look at, just pull out a couple of verses from it. But this is, the, this is the, uh, the, the accounting of when Herod has just killed James um, with a sword, and he goes and... and, and arrests Peter because it pleased the Jews. So Peter's in prison. He's been put uh, under lock and key. He's between guards. And there are really three things from this passage that we can see very quickly in the matter of prayer. Verse number 5, it says, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. First, we see that prayer here in the early church, and by the way, if you look through the book of Acts, there are several early accounts of the church gathering as a body to pray about some key things that were needed. And in each one of those situation, situations, God uh, abundantly worked. And this is just one of those accounts. But here we see that prayer was persistent and focused. You say, persistent in what way? It says in verse 5, that prayer was made without ceasing. We don't know how long this prayer meeting lasts. We don't, we, didn't know, we don't know how long Peter was in jail. This could have been a matter of minutes. It could have been hours. It could have been days. We simply don't know. We're told that Herod 
intended to keep him until after Easter. Then he was going to, you know, off with his head. Uh, and so we, do, we don't know the time frame from the arrest of Peter till the release. But we know that whatever time frame it was, the church gathered together and started praying. And, they, and as they did so, it says they did without ceasing. They prayed without stopping. Now, can you imagine a prayer meeting in this church body that lasted hours or days? In most of our Baptist churches in the United States of America, that is unheard of. But here, the church unifies together, and they are persistent in prayer. They are without ceasing, and they are focused in their prayer. It says that prayer uh, was made without ceasing of the church unto God for Him. This is not a church prayer meeting where they gather and they pray about uh, the, the, the needs of health and salvation and, and, the, and the, uh, the different circumstances of somebody's job. They are specific in their prayer time. They are focused in the, in the sense that prayer is only being directed to God for Peter for whatever length of time that is there. They are completely focused. So now I want you to put yourself in this prayer meeting, whether it be hours or days, the only thing on our agenda for that prayer meeting is Peter. And we are praying that God would work and intervene in the life of Peter. And again, this goes on and on and on and on. We don't know how long. That is very foreign to American churches today. One topic, one thought, one need, one, uh, one goal in mind. Secondly, verse number 12 says, And when he had considered the thing, this is speaking of Peter, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Here prayer, we are told, of the church is offered corporately and in unity. You see, they were gathered together in one place. Everybody went to Mary's house. This is not, I'm not saying that there weren't other people who couldn't make the meeting. There may have been. But the corporate body at large, they went to Mary's house to pray. They got to, everybody got together to pray. They came to one location. They didn't have a little group over here and a little group over there and some group over there and that house over there and one there. They all gathered into one location and they spent time in prayer. They were gathered together corporately. The church met together. But they were in unity. They were praying. And again, going back to what we talked about already, for Peter. Third, I'm, I am amazed at this in many ways based on some of the truth that the Lord Jesus had taught His disciples. Thirdly, prayer was miraculously and unexpectedly answered by God. Verse number 16, but Peter, you know, this is the story where Peter's knocking out on the door. Rhoda comes out, she hears it, she goes back, or hears him speak, hey, it's Peter, let me in. She goes back to the prayer meeting and says, hey, uh, Peter's outside. No, he's not. That's his ghost. We're going back to praying. For, why would you need, if it was his ghost, why go back to prayer? Didn't make a lot of sense. But anyway, she goes back and Peter's still knocking. Okay, he's open the door already. <laughs> Let him in. He says here, but Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They were amazed. They were shocked. 
You mean God really answered our prayer? Well, if you go back through the different uh, accounts, God answered their prayer often. This should not have been a surprise. And I think more often than not, this is the way uh, we look at answers to prayer. Wow, God actually answered my prayer. I didn't expect Him to. Which really shows a lack of faith. It really shows that that we aren't praying in faith. We're not really believing that God will. We know He can. We believe that He can. But we really don't stop to think and believe that He actually will. And so we go to prayer and we're just saying, Well, Lord, if you really want to, you could. But we're not really expecting it. So do whatever you want to do and that's okay. Again, we're very casual in our praying. And yet here the the church gathers and they're praying for Peter. I'm sure they were praying for peace in the middle of this trial. I'm sure some of them prayed that he would be released. I'm sure that some of them were praying that that, um, there were any number of things really. But God determined to answer their prayer by releasing Peter. And they were shocked. Surprise. I just, as I think about this, I, I, just, I just wonder whether or not they should have been a little more expectant. Now, I, honestly, I want to step back for just a moment and say this. Just because we believe God is going to answer, we don't know how He'll answer. God can choose to answer by a miracle or by some other means. I, I mean, anything's possible. And in this case, God answered by a miracle. Here, an angel uh, comes and releases him and Soldiers all around him and at the, guarding the gates and he walks past. They're all asleep, which meant they could have lost their lives and all the things that go on. He, and, and God delivers him in a miraculous way. God doesn't do that every time. But God does answer prayer and there should have been, there should have, they should not have been shocked. Maybe shocked that he answered that way, but not shocked that he answered. They were astonished. They were amazed. They just thought it was his ghost. They thought it was uh, he was dead by now, but here he is standing in the flesh. Wow, we weren't expecting that. They should have. But you can look at other passages of Scripture and, and see how God answers prayer over and over and over again in the early church. In order to hold the ropes for our missionaries, I believe that the church body must join together to pray in faith, believing that God not only can, but will answer. We need to be praying in faith. We need to to have a a faith that moves these mountains, a faith that that, that, uh, gets a hold of God, a, a faith that sees God answer prayer regularly, and not just here and there from time to time. I don't believe, I want to just preface one thing. I don't believe this is a name it and claim it passage or anything like that, okay? It's just because we say it doesn't mean it's going to happen. God is sovereign and He does what He wants because He knows what is best. But we go to God in prayer and we are seeking God. But as we know His will, and once we have the mind of God, because the Spirit of God through prayer and our, our Bible reading and, and the th- things that we just, we're just we seeing God move and work, we start to get a sense of what the will of God is, then go ahead and ask that God's will, the way He's directing, ask that that specifically be done because you know He's going to answer. 
God, I believe, will answer when we pray in faith, and we need to be praying in faith. I don't have time to get into the third point here, but I'm going to give it to you. In the third characteristic here is that missions praying makes specific requests. Specific requests. Several times in the epistles, Paul writes to these churches. And as he does, he gives them a, something that is on his heart, it's on his mind, and he, he's, he's asking them to pray for this particular request. Now, we do see in 1 Thessalonians 5, we read that, that sometimes he just asks, brethren, pray for us. Very generic, just pray for us, leaves the door wide open. But there are times when he, in which he is very specific. And I believe what we understand is when we're praying for missionaries, we need to be as specific as we possibly can. And those missionaries, when they write a prayer letter, may I say this, that is not a newsletter. That is a prayer letter. And there are requests in there that we need to be seriously taking before the Lord and specifically asking partnering with Him, striving together, putting in some effort to pray for those requests. Now, I'm not saying you have to pray for 80-plus missionaries every single day. Come up with a system, but, but know the needs that are presented. Pray for those needs specifically. The four missionary families, myself included, we ever, each month we send you praises and prayer requests. Know those needs. See them, write them down, pray for them specifically. We take time to write those out so you would know the things that are going on. Mine are repeated quite often because it's the same thing. Good meetings here, we're traveling, safety on the road, okay, I get it. But the other ones, as they're on the field and they're seeing challenges, they're seeing blessings, they're changing from time to time. Know those needs very specifically. Pray for them. Read the prayer. Every week we've got prayer letters in our, in our Wednesday prayer sheets. Don't just read them. Read them. Take them home and pray through them. In order to hold the ropes for our missionaries, we must pray specifically for the needs of our missionaries. They're counting on it. I conclude just with a, a, um, about four paragraphs that I, I, I'm quoting from a missionary who I think sums all of this up well. As a missionary in Greenland, I've been in some of his supporting churches, just a few, and I believe even one of my supporting churches may support this man. But he writes this, and I just want to read this. He said, Holding the ropes is not showing up at a church building once a week. It is not putting in a couple of dollars in the offering plate once in a while, and it is not occasionally lifting up a missionary's name in prayer just before eating supper. Holding the ropes is praying earnestly for your missionaries. It is giving to reach the lost even when it hurts a little. It is being actively involved in the missionaries' lives. It is knowing their children. It is knowing their hardships and struggles. It is knowing their needs. Then you are able to pray for them intelligently. It is keeping in touch with them and letting them know that, you are, or that they are not forgotten. Though you may be separated by an ocean, you can still be a part of the missionaries' lives. They may not see you face to face, but they need to feel you holding the ropes. Holding the ropes is teamwork. You may not realize it, but those that hold the ropes are as important as those that go down into the pit. 
Most people don't believe that, so they just walk away from holding the ropes. They think someone else can do their job, that someone else can hold the ropes for the missionary family. Missionaries may take all the risks, but that is precisely why we believe holding the ropes is just as important as going into the pit. If you stop holding the rope, what will happen to the one on the other end of the rope? He will fall to the bottom of the pit and die. He will no longer be able to mine the souls of lost people. The missionaries may take many risks, but that is because they have entrusted their lives into your hands, the hands of the rope holders. Just as they cannot quit on the lost souls they are reaching, they trust that you will not quit on them. It truly is teamwork, and that's the way God intended it to be. A story is told of a young missionary couple called to Africa, known at that time as the white man's grave. This couple, with much fear and apprehension, said, We are willing to face the risk if you, our home church, will hold the ropes for us in prayer. Two years had passed. The missionary had buried his wife and baby on the mission field, and now he himself was deathly ill. He returned from Africa unbeknownst to the church folk. He arrived late to the prayer meeting. After the service, the, folk, uh, the folks were sad to hear of his misfortune. The church folks were grieved even more when the missionary said the following, quote, This evening as you prayed, I listened anxiously for some mention of my name to see if you were keeping your promise. You prayed for everything connected with your own needs and for the church programs, but you forgot your missionary. I see now why I have failed as a missionary. It is because you failed to hold the ropes. End quote. Friend, are you holding the ropes for your missionaries? Those 80-plus missionaries that are there on our back wall? Are you agonizing? Are you putting forth effort in your prayers for them? Or are you just praying casually? Are you praying in faith, believing that God will answer? Church, family, are you praying together as a body in a unified corporate manner? Are you praying specifically for the needs of your missionary families? Do you know their needs? Do you know what's going on in their lives? Are you communicating with the missionaries, letting them know that you are praying for them, that they are not forgotten? Don't assume that they know And don't assume that someone else will communicate with them. They are counting on you. And if I may be so bold as to say, we are also counting on you to hold our ropes as we go in your place to South Africa. We're looking for a church family. Individuals, yes, but we're looking for a church body to hold the ropes for us. Are you holding the ropes? Are you praying for your missionaries? We are counting on you. Please do not let go of the rope. 
Please don't let go of the rope. I want to conclude with three prayer requests. Three things that I would ask that you would pray specifically for my wife and I. All in relation to deputation. Number one, would you pray for our meetings? Every Wednesday night, should I remember to send in uh, in enough in advance, our itinerary is printed in the church uh, prayer bulletin. All I'm simply asking is that each meeting that we are at, that you would take that before the Lord, and that you would just simply ask that God would, first of all, use us. Secondly, uh, that God would unite our hearts to the hearts of that church, to that pastor, that we would just see God do a great work in, maybe they can't support us financially, but that there would be such a, a binding of the hearts that they would undertake to join with you in holding ropes. Really, you guys are the ones holding at the front, and everybody else is coming in behind. So they're joining in that, and pray that they would. Secondly, would you pray for our support? As I mentioned earlier, we're at 45% of our support. Maybe tonight we'll be at 47. God willing, we will be. By January, maybe 54, and God willing, we will be. But would you pray that our support continues to increase? Be very specific that God would even call some of those churches that we are in, those meetings that we're attending, to do that. By the way, I've sent Pastor a list. That's, I wasn't necessarily intending for, for it to be public. I'm just mentioning this. I have a list, and Pastor has a copy of it, of 30, over 30 churches that have said, Brother Nathan, we'd like to take you on for support. Some of those churches, they're just simply waiting for the end of the year, the business meetings, things like that. But most of them that are on that list have simply said, they followed that statement up with, but we don't have the money to do so. We want to, but we can't. And we would if we could. So as you're praying for these meetings, you're praying for our support, would you also pray that God would supply the need of those churches so that others could join with us? And the third thing, pastors already mentioned tonight, would you pray about the goal that is set, both pastor, myself, and our mission agency, we are all in agreement that we need to wrap up deputation by the end of 2020 or be as close to it as possible so we can finish it up in 2021. We can't do that unless you're praying specifically for that. It will not happen. It just won't. And the reality is, if it doesn't happen... Then we've got a lot of question marks to what's next, you know, how far out. We, we've already been out long enough. We're tired. We're worn out. We do face discouragement and hard times and encouraging times and things, but it's time to be done. We sense it. Pastor sense it. Senses it. Our mission board senses it. Folks, I need you to, to realize as a church body, this is, this is something that we need you to join with us in prayer because we can't do this alone. We need you to hold that rope as well. And just pray that we would conclude deputation this year. By the way, those 30 churches that I mentioned, if every one of them took us on for the average that I have, which is right about 113%, if every one of those churches took us on, we'd be at 103% that quick. 103. Now if they go for 100 bucks, it's like 97%. So it is definitely possible and God answers believing prayer. And God, if we would put some effort in, and, and I believe that God would indeed answer, maybe not those 30, but 30 others, that's all we need.
So would you pray for us in these things? And I know that Chris and I would appreciate it, but even the missionaries out there, the Smiths, the Meads, the Thatchers, there's needs that they have. I'd ask that you do the same for them as well. We are counting on you. Pastor, would you come and close as you see fit?